Hello and welcome to the Brexit Central podcast. I'm David Scullion and joining me today is Brexit Central editor Jonathan Isaby and the MP for Middlesbrough South and East Cleveland, Simon Clark. Thanks both for joining me. Good morning. Hi. Um, we've had five days in December of that were scheduled for this all-important, meaningful vote on Theresa May's Brexit deal. Um, And then at the last minute, uh, Theresa May pulled the vote and she said uh, to the House that if we went ahead and held the vote tomorrow, the deal would be rejected by a significant margin. So she pulled it and she rescheduled it for January. And we've um, just started our debate again on that. So I think probably the first question to ask uh, you, Simon, is has anything changed? Is there any chance of this getting through this time? Or or what's what's been the mood since then? Well, the mantra throughout this process has always been uh, nothing has changed. And indeed, uh, sadly, uh, so it's proven uh, in the, over the last few weeks. There's always been a hope, I think, that the EU would recognise the sheer force of opinion in the House, that uh, the backstop provisions in particular are quite unacceptable insofar as they leave us trapped as a rule taker without a vote or a voice. And indeed that we cannot leave that arrangement without the permission of the EU27. That is quite clearly a non-starter. There are other issues beyond that, frankly, as well, uh, particularly surrounding the nature of the future uh, trade agreements. So the obstacles are profound. We've seen next to no progress. Uh, If there had been, I think we would have heard about it by now. There is uh, always the potential that at the very last moment some kind of rabbit will be produced from the hat. But I think it will, if it is produced, be a pretty small rabbit and a pretty unconvincing one because any change will clearly need to be legally meaningful uh, and it will need to convince both uh, those of us in the Conservative Party and, crucially, the DUP that it is, uh, in, 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 you know, in, in a real sense, uh, a solution to the, the concerns that have been addressed. So in the absence of that, nothing's changed. The result will be much the same as it would have been last month. And do, Simon, don't you think that actually it would have been far better to have had the vote in December for the government to lose it quite badly, as we expect they'll lose it next week, and for the government to actually then use that as negotiating You are entirely right, To say, look, the British Parliament can't support this, you need to offer us something different. Absolutely right. And, of course, that's what we will belatedly try to do now, I suspect, albeit the uh, unreconciled Remain wing of Parliament is obviously now increasingly militant about trying to uh, interpose its own instructions to government about what should happen next and that's something which needs to be resisted uh with 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 clear and calm determination i think uh they are getting very worked up at this point trying to force a solution on the government the government doesn't need to cave into that and uh uh, so it shouldn't but yes i completely agree we should never ever have got to the situation it was ludicrous to pull the vote in december uh it hasn't strengthened our hand one iota and there's no question that that was, for many of us, a tipping point on the journey towards the no-confidence vote in December. And, you know, it's one of a string of self-inflicted wounds on this journey. And I, you know, I say that with huge regret. You know, I'm a, I try to be a loyal Conservative Member of Parliament defending the manifesto upon which we were elected. And it has been immensely frustrating to me how, from a policy of weakness, the government has allowed itself to be buffeted. Uh, by events, and we must stop that now. And the response to the vote uh, really is a Rubicon, I think, in that in that particular journey. But what would you say to a lot of people who who might not be totally following what's going on? Who might just say, "Look, Theresa May's done her best. She's done the best of a bad job over the last few years. This is the best we can." 
expect and why don't you just vote for it to get it over the line and we can leave the EU? And that is something you hear from constituents and I absolutely understand that instinct because it is a human reaction to the pressing need to deliver on uh, the referendum mandate. It's a human reaction to the sheer frustration and tedium at times uh, of this intractable process. The point is, when we sign up to this agreement, that is legally binding and the backstop provisions within the agreement would come into effect as of right in the event we couldn't uh, negotiate a future trade agreement or we couldn't agree. And you could extend that a little bit, the transition period, with their consent. But fundamentally, the backstop would always uh, be a threat. And that backstop would leave the UK trapped as a rule-taking vassal. And there's simply no way that I think responsible parliamentarians should countenance responding to a referendum uh, mandate to take back control by signing away even more control than ever before over our long-term future. At least when you're in the EU, you can leave. Under the backstop provisions in this deal, uh, we wouldn't even have that right. So it would, it would be a positive step backwards. And that's why, I'm afraid, we have to stand out for the right deal or no deal rather than a bad one. So what would you do if you were in charge, if you were sitting there in number 10? What, what would your plan be now? Well, I think... You wouldn't start from here. Well, saying. indeed. I think there's, there's quite a number of steps which uh, I wouldn't have taken to this point. But uh, responding to a likely defeat, I would uh, immediately do as Jonathan said, and I'd go back and I'd say, well, look, this is the clear view of Parliament. You have to recognise that we weren't bluffing when we said this wasn't going to fly and wasn't going to fly by probably quite a significant margin. And therefore... Uh, you you know you need to really remove the backstop or very significantly uh, reduce it in scope uh, in some way and time limited or do something which allows it to become much less of a threat. In the scenario where they do they do not do that, then very clearly and I, and I think they won't. Incidentally, not that, are, I mean, and you can't blame them. No for that. I can't blame in, them for in that. The They've always that, been pretty clear no, that I'm, the backstop has to be time limited or it's not a backstop. That's just time unlimited. Yeah, indeed. Sorry, time, yeah, time unlimited, and that is. Uh, yeah, you're quite right. That's their base case, and we shouldn't particularly be surprised by that. That being so, uh, I think there is some merit in what Jacob Rees-Mogg has said, which is that we should say that we'll leave without a deal, but we'll offer to pay some of the 39 billion, perhaps as a as an as a, as a price for a standstill transition for two years, which would replicate many of the uh, attractive features of having uh, the transition without needing to sign up to the deal. Uh, I'm perfectly prepared to look at that. Uh, but most fundamentally, regardless of whether that flies, we just leave on the 29th of March and you know, carry on setting our own future. And so much of Project Fear is proving to have been overblown. And the only way in which you truly slay those dragons is by robust preparation in the time that remains uh, and also dynamic policy choices on the other side of leaving. Um, a lot of MPs have been pictured going into Downing Street and having some of these drinks receptions um, with Robbie Gibb and uh, some with the Prime Minister. Um, have you been to one of those? Well, I was invited. I, in the end, didn't go. And I didn't do that out of any sense of rancour. It's just a, uh, a very, 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 very intense time. There's so much preparation that needs to be done, and I wasn't really certain how small talk over canapes was going to advance that hugely. Uh, I think my position is clear. I think their position is clear. I think the only scope for change is on the other side of this vote. So nothing that they can say at this point other than a legally meaningful change is going to persuade me to change my mind. And do, you, do you think that opinion amongst Tory Brexiteers 
changed over Christmas at all? Did it no. soften or did it harden? Perhaps? I, well, I, I think it certainly didn't soften. It may have hardened slightly. Uh, there's no question that I think the mood was one of resolve in December. And in the absence of anything meaningful, then it's very hard to see why colleagues would change their mind, or indeed how colleagues can change their mind for those who find themselves in this situation somewhat reluctantly. And there are some of those who want a way out, they just haven't been offered one. Uh, for those of us who are somewhat more robust, uh, we're nowhere near the kind of changes which are required. And it may well indeed be that the EU have no intention of ever giving us them. But uh, morale is as high as it can be under the circumstances. There's certainly a good camaraderie among those of us who passionately believe this is the right thing to do for the country, but also, and we must emphasise this to loyal Conservative voters, for the party. Because actually... If we sign up to this deal and somehow railroad it through against the reservations of the DUP, we will wake up on the morning after we leave, or indeed the morning after the vote, rather, without their support, and therefore it will be impossible for us to continue to govern, and Labour will be in charge at the next stage of the process. I mean, didn't you say that? We, we published a piece on Brexit Central this week by Greg Baker, who's the chairman of Canterbury Conservative Association, which used to have a Conservative MP, lost the last election, uh, and he was saying, uh, for goodness sake, if you let this deal through as is, you aren't going to have any activists left to fight the next election whenever it comes. Well, that's also true. And, you know, I know a number of really long-standing, dedicated Conservative activists who are hugely dismayed by what we're talking about signing up to here. And we do need to tread carefully, I think. The, you know, the Conservative Party's voter base has shifted, uh, even since 2015, heavily towards Leave voters. We, in my own constituency, Middlesbrough South and East Cleveland, was a Labour seat for 20 years until 2017. And there's no question in my mind but that the cut-through issue which swung it was Europe and the fact that people genuinely believed the Conservatives were much more serious about delivering on the referendum mandate and that we would be best placed to deliver uh, a compelling and attractive post-Brexit future. If we fail that challenge, then not only will our activists be demoralised, but there will be literally millions of our electoral coalition who will, I think, have serious reservations about voting for us again. They may not necessarily switch to Labour, but if they don't turn out, the result is much the same. But what about people who say, look, this is all well and good, you, you prefer a no-deal Brexit to um, May's deal, but there's just no majority in Parliament for that mm. no-deal Brexit? Well, that will be flung at us a lot. Uh, the truth is there's no majority in Parliament I can see for anything, actually, because uh, I don't think there's a majority for a second referendum. Uh, there are lots of Labour MPs uh, who actually don't want to see that, and certainly a great majority of Tory MPs who don't. I don't think there's a majority for Norway, because a Norway outcome means continuing free movement, which would be the most obvious, tangible failure to deliver on the referendum mandate imaginable. So actually... We need to make that point very clearly, that it's not as though Parliament... Parliament may well not particularly like No Deal, but there's no clear uh, mandate for an alternative. And fun most fundamentally, of course, that is the legal default. And uh, it was very clearly the democratic default. When we voted to leave the European Union, there was always the hope and the expectation we would do a deal. Uh, but if you voted to leave, then you had to, you had to accept that, of course, there was the possibility we would end up leaving... Uh, on WTO terms. And we shouldn't allow the scaremongering around this to detract from the fact that there would be, in the current situation, I think quite a lot of advantages to a clean break and then moving on from there, when the logic of good trading relations could reassert itself with the politics somewhat reduced. Simon, were you in the chamber for 
I'll say for PMQs on Wednesday, more more interestingly for points of order on mm. Wednesday, which went on for over an hour, and this decision by the Speaker to allow the timetable motion mm. to be amended, which is completely unprecedented. Mm. What on earth did you make well, of that? Well, I will be very clear, I didn't have the chance to make a point of order. Uh, I think the Speaker has revealed his irretrievable bias towards Remain yesterday. I don't say that lightly, I've never said that before, that I think we have a biased Speaker, but I think we do have a Speaker who is now determined to try and influence the outcome uh, of uh, these debates. He broke with all precedent yesterday, and despite what he said, about precedent needing to evolve. This was not a helpful or a healthy decision. What it opens the door to, and this has connotations way beyond Brexit, is activist uh, speakers. And the whole principle of the chair has always been that they will uphold the rules of the Commons rather than themselves, if you like, changing those rules midway through uh, the match. And I think it was desperately unwise. I think it was a nakedly political decision. And I think that the, the ramifications for John Boko personally, but also for Parliament generally, are very serious. So uh, what precisely he thinks he was achieving by that, I do not know. In the end, obviously, it doesn't. I don't think it has as much effect as some of those uh, you know, capering about on the other side of the argument particularly want to pretend it does. But I do think that the constitutional significance is, is, is serious and severe. Do you think he should release the advice that he received from the clubs? I've signed an EDM to that effect, yes. I've never signed an EDM before, but in this case that seems the most obvious tool to to try and get him to uh, release it. It is deeply ironic, bitterly ironic, that the same Parliament which was putting so much pressure on the government to release the legal advice it's received regarding aspects of the withdrawal process uh, is now trying to... Uh, prevent the Speaker from having to reveal the advice he received from David Natzler, his Chief Clerk. I am very certain that the advice the Speaker received was that this was not in order and that he decided to flout that. And uh, it is a shameful incident. And I think all confidence in the Speaker, uh, which was pretty marginal, has now been lost among those of us who want to leave the European Union. I don't think that's a healthy position to be in. It is genuinely actually very sad. And talking of confidence in personalities, what do you make of the seemingly increasing numbers of government ministers who are coming out publicly saying that they would either resign to try and stop no deal or even Greg Clark, the business secretary himself, who said on the radio uh, what a horrific prospect a no deal Brexit would be having stood on a manifesto commitment of no deal is better than the bad deal, and no deal being the uh, result of Parliament deciding that the deal is a bad deal. I think ministers need to remember that there is collective responsibility. I think that they're not serving the interests of the country by cutting across our no deal preparation, which is obviously crucial. It's crucial both as a negotiating leverage in the ongoing talks with the European Union, but more plausibly at this point, it's crucial because that may well be indeed how we leave the European Union. So therefore, trying to uh, frighten people, frighten investors, frighten people running businesses, frighten people needing medicines, this is absolutely deplorable behaviour. And it doesn't uh, change the parliamentary reality that in the end, the government's position very clearly in law is that we will leave on the 29th of March with or without a deal, and that, that was what the Prime Minister re-emphasised at Prime Minister's Questions just this week. And I do think that ministers need to be very careful. Their personal prejudices 
are a matter for them. And you know, as with all members of parliament, they have to make decisions accordingly. But they cannot carry those over into the running of government. And in a position like the Secretary of State for Business, we do need somebody who is absolutely determined that come what may, this country will make all the policy choices required to ensure we succeed. And it's unhelpful to have uh, you know, these, these very, very uh, clear calls to try and, uh, if you like, overturn what we've already settled as a matter of law. I, I think that Greg and David Gork and a number of others need to stop and reflect because Quivono at this point, and that really is the question. And are they, if they aren't prepared to adhere to government policy, then their Brexit colleagues have shown that they can indeed leave government and we can have someone in place who actually is committed to making a success of their portfolio. Just finally, what do you think about the rumours of a general election? Well, uh, a general election in a hung parliament with issues as fraught as this can never be dismissed. I think it is still quite unlikely. Uh, it's, it's unlikely because the only conceivable route that I can see for that would be if ultra-Remainers decided to vote with Labour to bring down the government. Were it ultra-Remainers on the Conservative side. On benches. the Conservative side, yes. We decided to vote with Labour to bring down the government if it became clear that the government wasn't indeed going to back down uh, on making sure we leave on the 29th of March, come what may. Can you think of any of your colleagues who believe vanishingly few guppering Brexit to such a degree mm. that they would sacrifice their careers, their job, and the government and, for it, and be guilty of the most appalling breach of faith with their own electors as well? Uh, very few is the short answer to that. I think uh, we have had unfortunate comments from Nick Bowles, a man I have a huge amount of time for in every other regard. But I think that was a ridiculous statement to make that he would resign the Conservative whip. Uh, I think Sarah Wollaston and Anna Soubry are unfortunately adopting a very extreme position. But beyond that, no, is the short answer. I think that this is a bluff which needs to be called. Uh, you know, this is totally inappropriate behaviour. The, the, those of us who have concerns about the way these negotiations have been conducted used the Conservative Party's internal mechanism, that is to say, of a confidence vote in accordance with the Constitution to try and achieve redress. And we've broadly speaking, accepted that result uh, having been issued. You cannot start putting guns to the government's head about confidence. This is not an appropriate way to proceed, uh, and it's certainly, I think, something which most colleagues regard as a profoundly selfish and silly thing to do. Uh, and I don't think it's very likely it would materialise. So, given that in all other circumstances it requires a two-thirds vote of the House of Commons, which would require the government to endorse calling a general election voluntarily, uh, I think it is still quite unlikely we will have one. Uh, you can never dismiss anything at this point, but as I say, in many ways, the surest route to a general election, as I alluded to earlier, is that we lose the DUP and you lose a confidence vote that way, having signed up to a deal they can't live with. Simon Clark, thank you very much. Not at all. Thank you. And you know, thank you to all the Brexit Central listeners as well and all those who are engaged in making sure that we actually do indeed deliver this. We will get there. And I think at this point, calm resolution and a bit of good cheer on our part is required. We're not in any way out of this fight. And there are many of us who are quite determined to make sure that we win it. I was speaking to Jonathan Isabey and Simon Clark on the Brexit Central podcast. You can sign up to our daily Brexit briefing at brexitcentral.com forward slash subscribe.